0: Acts 15 verses 36 through 41. So we'll be completing our study of the book of Acts chapter 15. And as we do every Sunday, let's read together. And let us read aloud this passage, beginning with verse 36. Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city, where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Now Barnabas was determined to take with them John, called Mark, but Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus, But Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Shall we pray? Our Father, we ask for the blessing of your Holy Spirit this morning, that we will truly understand and know, Lord God, your uh, your interpretation, your meaning in all of these words uh, today. That we would rightly divide your word and so be able, Lord God, to uh, apply the truths that we learn from this passage today. We ask for the anointing and blessing of your Holy Spirit upon each and every person here. So that nothing, Lord, gets by us or is without its understanding. And Lord, this morning we pray for our brother Jose Soria. We ask for the blessing of your spirit as you continue to heal him. May you protect him and watch over him and keep him, Lord, safe, and his family as well. In, in, in just the dramatic experience that has taken place for them, I know, Father, that they just need the comfort of your Holy Spirit. Bless them and protect them and keep them, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You all may be seated. We live in a world that is filled with conflict. Whether it be nation against nation in some global encounter or maybe just neighbor versus neighbor over garage band noise or barking dogs or limbs hanging over the fence, you know, or something, you know, there's there's some kind of conflict that's always going to be abounding, you know, around us. But in many cases, that conflict is rooted in selfishness and even in wickedness. And again, we, we, can, we can see that in many different things. But in Paul's days, there were many conflicts due to class envy, discrimination that plagued master-servant relations. And the apostle would address the believers in these matters. For example, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 1 through 5, Paul tells Timothy to teach the church, Let as many bondservants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and His doctrine may not be blasphemed. And those who have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather serve them because those who are benefited are believers and beloved. Teach and exhort these things. But notice what he goes on to say. He says, if anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing but is obsessed. With disputes and arguments over words, from which come envy, strife, reviling, evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. From such, withdraw yourselves. Paul is dealing with this issue of conflict that as believers in Jesus Christ we have the solution to that conflict in our attitude in the in the way that we deal with and handle the you know the the, the, the possibilities of, of conflict by realizing that uh, that we have to humble ourselves whereas those who want to be obsessed with disputes and arguments are called proud So we realize then that much of the issue of conflict and contention between people is an issue of pride. And yet, there can be something that is labeled as honest conflict. Now, I'm not saying this to say that if you're looking for conflict, at least look for honest conflict. What I am saying is that there is something called honest conflict. A sincere A straightforward holding of differing opinions. A clash of this nature is not always selfish and it shouldn't be. It's not self-serving and for the most part it's not a personal matter. This passage before us today is an exceptional study in this type of disagreement, this, this type of divergence By the way, we're not studying this passage so that we might learn how to argue or to disagree or be divisive in a Christian manner. Again, that's not what we're all about here today. But one thing is for sure. No conflict in and of itself is good. But the Lord has a way of turning our conflicts into conditions that God will work within us. And so as we come to this last portion of chapter 15, and we've seen how there's been much division and and divisiveness because of legal positions that certain people were making or taking against, you know, the the preaching of the gospel. And the gospel was, you know, uh, was was having to be uh, lifted up and and Paul and Barnabas were having to take a tremendous stand for the gospel because uh, it was being attacked by legalism as it were. So we've already seen a lot of that up to this point, but now we see something in a little different light, yet there's still uh, this conflict, this tension. It says that after some days Paul said to Barnabas, Let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord, and see how they're doing. Now Barnabas was determined to take with him John Called Mark, but Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. It is interesting to see that this honest conflict actually arises from a very genuine concern—a concern that both Paul and Barnabas had for the church, had for the churches that had begun, that had been started in the areas of of. Uh, of Asia and Asia Minor. Paul and Barnabas are actually in agreement, as it were, in this mission that Paul suggests that they should undertake, which was that of revisiting the churches that had been reestablished or should say established in their first missionary journey. Cities like Cyprus and Pamphylia and Pisidia, Lyconia, Salamis, Paphos, Perga, Iconium, Lystra, Derby, and Antioch in Pisidia, just to name a few. Actually, I've just named the ones uh, which have already been mentioned. But their desire to see how the churches were doing would translate into a good time to water the seed that they had planted. Because these young converts were surrounded by irreverence and immorality. They were surrounded by sinfulness and superstitions. They were surrounded by wickedness and wretchedness. You know, things that would easily cause them to fall away from the faith that was brought to them at a very high cost. A cost of pain, a cost of persecution that was inflicted upon Paul and Barnabas. Pain that Paul was aware of early on. If you remember when he received his calling from the Lord Jesus Christ as Saul of Tarsus. And and he's brought into a city where, where a man named Ananias takes him and 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 takes care of him for a few days. And the Lord speaks to Ananias about Saul, because, you know, Ananias is a little, you know, apprehensive about Saul of Tarsus, because he's heard, you know, what his testimony was, but he hadn't really known that there was any great change yet. But nonetheless, the Lord speaks to Ananias, he says to him, Go for he's chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. So very early on, Paul knew that everything that he was going to do for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ was going to cause pain, It was going to cause suffering. It was going to be a part of it. Please understand that this pain and suffering was not put upon Paul because he had been a persecutor of the church. Because Barnabas was not a persecutor of the church and he would face those persecutions. All the other apostles would face that persecution as well. So it wasn't because they were blasphemers. So this wasn't payback time for God to be, you know, to place it upon Paul. He's just stating the very fact that when you go out and take the gospel of Jesus Christ, you're going to have to face this suffering for my name's sake. Paul understood that very clearly in his life. And so in 2 Timothy chapter 3, at the very end of his life, before he goes to his own death for Christ, Paul says to Timothy, but you have carefully followed my doctrine. 2 Timothy 3 verse 10, but you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, and notice verse 11, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured. And out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So it was something that Paul knew. It was that high cost of preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, so it is easy to see then that neither Paul nor Barnabas was exerting their authority or trying to get their own way in this issue in Acts 15. Neither Paul nor Barnabas was rejecting change or attempting to maintain tradition. Neither was seeking their own purpose or or jealous of the other person. Neither was trying to keep things as they were. And so it is clear that their concern for the Lord's work was genuine and it was sincere. But their difference was not over the mission. Their difference was not over the mission every believer should be concerned. Every believer should be committed to the mission of the Lord. Primarily the mission of the Lord was given as the commission given in Matthew chapter 28 by Jesus to His disciples when He said, Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. That's our commission as disciples of Jesus Christ. But that commission is expanded for us and it broadens in this particular scope that we are also called to visit, to encourage, and to exhort brothers in Christ. And this was Paul's heart. It shows the heart of Paul and Barnabas as a pastor's heart. One who didn't just want to leave them with the gospel, leave them and and just, you know, say, I'm not worried about them any longer. He wanted to go back. He wanted to see how they were doing. He He wanted to make sure that he could encourage them to stay faithful to Christ. So to visit, to encourage, exhort brothers in Christ is part of the mission. But if the conflict was over the mission, if they were arguing about, you know, whether we should go or not, and, and this and that, then we could say that it was not honest. It was not an honest conflict, but one that was false and selfish. So the difference was not over the mission... The difference was over the method. How best to carry out the mission. That's where the tension was. That's where the tension and the conflict lay between Paul and Barnabas. Notice in verse 37 it says, Now Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark. But Paul, verse 38, but Paul insisted. Barnabas was determined, Paul was insistent. Okay, you see, part of the problem here, one's determined, the other one's insisting that they should not take with them one, the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia, and had not gone with them to the work. There is no doubt, if you've been with us long enough, as we've been studying the book of Acts, there is no doubt that Barnabas was a generous, a gracious, a giving person, especially in the area of encouragement. As we've said many times, his name means son of encouragement. That's what Barnabas means, son of encouragement. He was especially eager to give John Mark another chance in ministry, and for two reasons. Firstly, because John Mark was, was a relative. And secondly, he more than likely believed that the young man had recommitted his life to the Lord and was ready now to serve him once again now what are we talking about well the problem goes back to chapter 13 so go back a couple of pages in your Bibles and look at Acts 13 verse 13 Paul and Barnabas had taken John and Mark with them on this particular journey and it tells us in verse 13 when Paul and his party set sail for Paphos they came to Perga and Pamphylia and John departing from them returned to Jerusalem we're not given a lot of detail about that but nonetheless we're told that he departed from them in essence, what, 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 what was in Paul's mind and heart was that he not only departed from them, but he deserted them. He abandoned them in this particular mission. Mark had failed and disproved himself. And like many, I'm sure, would want a second chance. How many people do we know in the ministry today that have said they were going to, they were going to do something? You know, this is common, I, I tell you, it, it shouldn't be, but it's common in the church. It's common that we say, we're going to do something, and we only go about, you know, you know, a certain percentage of the way. And then we stop and we say, well, I think the Lord's called me somewhere else. And we abandon what we say we're going to do to the very end. It happens a lot. And when that happens, then, you know, we think, well, is that person Ready? In some cases, a person will repent and they'll say, you know, I I shouldn't have done what I did or, you know, I should have gone ahead and fulfilled what I was going to do. And in that, you know, I I think that, you know, we want to say, well, we'd love to give them another opportunity. Aren't we, we as as believers in Jesus Christ, people that, that can give a second chance? By the way, how many of us have been given second chances in our Christian walk? We would all put our hands up. So we understand this issue. From Barnabas' standpoint, you see, Mark had failed. Mark had disproved himself and would want that second chance. And Barnabas was willing to give that opportunity to his relative. Uh, You know, he's either a nephew or a cousin. You know, if you read the King James Version, he's a nephew. If you read a lot of the other translations, he's a cousin. He's a relative, okay, so just put it at that. So his contention with Paul was not based, and please understand this, please get this. If you get anything about this contention, please get this. His contention with Paul was not one based on bitterness or selfish competitiveness. It wasn't based on bitterness. It wasn't based on competing. That wasn't what it was all about. It's a sad thing to note that even in our day and time, there is much competition in the church of Jesus Christ today. Everybody's competing to get more people, to have more of this, to have more of that, to have more entertainment, to have more of uh, Flash, you know, whatever. You know, I mean, you want Flash, you can have Flash. We don't have Flash here. We just want to, you know, we just want to commune with God and, and Jesus Christ and lear, learn from Him and grow in His Word. So, you know, we, we, this, is, this is who we are. You want something else? Well, you know, there's a lot of churches. You can go, see. You want the flash? You want that? You know, we're not going to compete with that. Not to, we're not here for that. We know what our mission is, we know what our calling is. But t- it's a sad thing when, when churches divide because of competitive attitudes. Com- a, a competitive spirit can do more to harm the church than to help the church. So I'm just telling you that, you know, that Paul and Barnabas weren't uh, contending over bitterness or selfish competitiveness. And I'll tell you this: They didn't break up anything. They didn't split the church and form two different churches in Antioch. They didn't do that. Please understand this. This reminds me of this this little story. I think most of you probably heard this story about about a guy that gets, uh, you know, he he, he gets uh, uh, in a shipwreck or something, and he ends up on a on a desert island or not a desert, uh, deserted island, all by himself, and. And, and so you know he's waiting to see who's going to come and rescue him and while he does this well of course he has to settle in and, uh, and finally when, when a ship comes by and they see you know the smoke signals they stop and, uh, but when they, when they stop and they see where he was living they said you know it's an interesting thing that you know we, we, we notice that you have three huts up. And you're, are, you, are there other people he says oh no I'm the only one here I said well why do you have three huts and well, he points to the first one. He says, well, this, this first one, that's my house. And this second one, that's my church. And they say, well, what's that third one? He says, that's the church I used to go to. <laughs> you know, and that's the mindset of so many people today. Well, I, this, I used to go here, I used to go here. You go, well, you don't, do you go where you, where you know God wants you to be? So even by himself, he was competitive. You know, there's competitive attitude. Paul and Barnabas weren't, weren't doing this to compete. They weren't doing this to split up the church. So understand that. Now, both Paul and Barnabas were strong in their convictions. We can thank God for that, that they were strong enough to stand for the gospel when the legalists were trying to, you know, bring into the church these attitudes of, you know, you know circumcision and all of that. They stood strong. So we're thankful for their strength and convictions. But I want you to notice the words that are used in verses 37 and 38. Barnabas was determined. Paul insisted. I suppose the best word to apply to these men is that they were simply hard-headed. In the Spanish, we have a good word for that. You know, they just were hard-headed. But what this teaches... What this teaches us is that these men, and this is a great lesson for us today, these men were human. Paul was human. Hate to break the news to you guys, if you think that Paul, you know, used to kind of glide about a foot off the ground as a saint. Yes, he was a saint in the biblical sense of the word, meaning that he was a believer in Jesus Christ. But I'll tell you this, They didn't walk around with little halos mystically attached to their heads and appearing so saintly as if an aura surrounded them gliding a few inches off the ground. They were human. Thank God for that. You know why? We're human. We already learned that Peter was human. I, I would wonder what Peter would think today. Uh, what he would do to that statue that everybody kisses his toe you know they, they've kissed his toe so much there in the Vatican they've kissed his toe so much they've worn him out he says where's my toe he would tear that statue down it's not about him it's about Jesus my goodness Paul was human and Paul had his own convictions as Barnabas had. Now, he believed that a deserter was a poor example for a young church. You know, young churches that needed to be strengthened. And, and it's interesting how it was put in the text when he says, it says, so, uh, Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who departed from them in Petophilia believe that uh, this desertion was was a poor example for young churches that needed to be strengthened. But now, was Barnabas wrong then? You see, we're we're talking about perspective here too. Think about Barnabas' perspective. If Barnabas knew that, that John Mark was now repentant of what he had done and was saying, you know, I, I have prayed and asked God to fill me, you know, once again with, with, with purpose and, and, and with a spirit and give me, you know, vision to, you know, to, to move on. I'm ready to, to try again. And Barnabas is saying, you know, I want to give him that opportunity. Wouldn't you say that that would be a good thing for the young churches to know how good God is in giving that opportunity once again? So is Paul wrong? You see, (laughs) were they both wrong? Were they both right? This study today is not about who's right and who's wrong. Let me add one more thing to the fire here, as it were. Along with the very fact that Paul didn't believe that a deserter was a good example for young churches. Along with that is the thought that Barnabas, again, think about Paul. That Barnabas had been wrong before. Barnabas had been wrong before. His very partner in the ministry had been wrong. Think about the the book of Galatians, chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. We we spent a little time uh, a few weeks ago on this. And Paul is writing now under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So understand this. We believe that, that, that Paul has been given the grace and the mercy to write these things. But he says in verse 11 now, When Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face, because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles, but when they came, he would withdraw and separate himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. So Peter was vacillating between, you know, the the grace and, and the law issue. Verse 13, And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. And that had to have stayed fresh in the mind of Paul. Paul, you're trying to bring John Mark who deserted us. And you just about deserted us too. Is Paul wrong? Is Paul right? Was Barnabas wrong? Was Barnabas right? We might be asking this question, which of them was right and which of them was wrong? Uh, Which one was being unreasonable? One thing I do know is that we aren't to try to answer these questions with our own opinions or conjecture. We're not to try to answer these things. Saints, believers in Jesus Christ, can disagree without being disagreeable. Saints, believers in Jesus Christ, can disagree without being disrespectful with each other. It can be that way. We can do that. We don't all agree about everything little peripheral issue but we better believe and know what the scripture says about salvation we better know what it says about the doctrines of the church the doctrines of the scriptures and we need to be you know solid in these things but a lot of peripheral issues we we may not you know there's a lot of people in the church that don't believe that the the gifts of the spirit are, are are to be exercised today there are others that do do we you know now do we struggle with that I don't struggle with that I hold a certain position we hold a certain position in this church about that we believe that if God's word is true from from beginning to end then whatever gifts God has given should be always used as God leads as God, God grants us these things there's little things though that, that we may not believe in one thing or another sometimes but the, the, the point of the matter is this it goes without saying that Barnabas loves that Barnabas loved Paul so deeply as a father his son. if you remember Barnabas was actually you know the, the mentor of Paul in ministry. And so he was like a father to Paul. He had witnessed how God had gifted Paul to take the lead in worldwide evangelism to the point that he began to realize Paul was now going to take the lead in ministry between the two of them. Barnabas would have never opposed Paul unless he was convinced that he was right. And likewise, Paul loved and appreciated Barnabas considerably. Both were honest with each other. And that's the key here. Both were honest with each other. I've been in, in some meetings with, uh, with other churches over leadership issues. As, as a mediator to, to, to listen and to help and pray and to, to kind of listen to things. And, and I can tell you this, and we're not talking about counseling sessions where two people come in and he, you know it's a he said she said or she said she said or he said he said type of situation, and you don't know where the truth lies. The truth lies somewhere, but it's not lying in what they're saying. <laughs> we're talking about you know meeting, and to, you know there are some strong disagreements in ministry, but each person that's involved in these in this particular situation I'm talking about, uh, each one was honest. No one was lying. They just had different perspectives and different approaches to their ministry. So the good thing was that they were honest with each other. This is honest conflict. They realized the mission was of utmost importance, importance, but the sad result, the sad result of all of this can be seen in verse 39. Look at verse 39. Then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. The sad result is that they parted. The sad result is that there was a strong contention, a sharp contention, it tells us. The word that is used for sharp contention is the Greek word that is transliterated into English as paroxysm. And that has nothing to do with peroxide. It's paroxysm, p-a-r-o-x-s-x-y-s-m. Paroxysm literally means to convulse, or convulsion I should say, a fit, an outburst from within, a spasm. That's literally what the word paroxysm means. But the idea in the word is here in the scriptures is that Paul and Barnabas differed to the point of suffering pain. They differed to the point of suffering pain within. They were pained about the fact that their contention with each other was hurting them. And, and, and each other. One, one commentator acknowledges that the contention did not imply anger. And this is, this is another thing that we need to understand. Their, their contention didn't imply anger or ill will between the two. Because he put it this way, Paul being influenced only by his love of righteousness, Barnabas was being actuated by love of his relative. You see, Paul struggled with ever trusting John Mark. Barnabas could do nothing but give him another chance in ministry. Were they, both, were they both, could they both be right? Could they both be wrong? It was, it was hurting them. It was, it, was, it was painful that they were going through this contention. There, there was not only the sharp contention, but notice this. There was also this loss of each other. They went different ways. And this thought can, can actually oftentimes be forgotten here. Because Paul, Paul owed so much to Barnabas. I mean Barnabas stood up for Paul against all other believers. You remember that in Acts 9 verse 27? But Barnabas took him and brought him to the, the apostles and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. Barnabas, Barnabas stood with Paul. Strongly stood with Paul. And he matured Paul in the faith and ministry. Acts 11 verses 25 and 26. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. But, but the, the idea here was that Barnabas took Saul under his wing. You see, the conflict was an honest one. But nonetheless, the results were tragic from our perspective. Tragic from our perspective. Two dear brothers, so strong in the Lord, and so caring for each other, were splitting up their ministry, their particular ministry. And you know, it's an interesting thing that if you go back to chapter 13 for just a moment, and you read the words... In the first couple of verses there, where it tells us that, uh, actually in Acts 13, verse 2 and 3, As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent sent them away. The Holy Spirit says, Separate to me Barnabas and Paul for the work of the ministry. Separate, in other words, sanctify them, set them apart for this word, together. That was the Holy Spirit here, putting them together. What happened? You see, they're their only hope was that God would overrule and to show the one who was wrong that he was mistaken, forgiving him, and continuing to use him just as effectively as before. But you see, our question isn't, who's at fault? We don't know. We're both right? Probably so. We're both wrong? Probably so. You ever been in that kind of situation? You're right about something, but your attitude's been wrong? or you're wrong about something but your attitude is right and so you repent or you, or you humble yourself these were godly men folks understand this and yet interestingly enough interestingly enough nothing in this passage nothing is said of prayer nothing is said of the presence of the Holy Spirit do you see it? I don't see it there what is that an indication of? How many times have we seen that the disciples after Pentecost were gathered for prayer, gathered for wisdom, gathered in the, in the sense that here they were you know, uh, uh, fearful of what was going on around them, so they prayed, they sought the face of the Lord, they waited upon God, and God gave them answers every time. And yet in this brief contention here, this conflict, we don't see them doing that. And it reminded me last night of, of, of Joshua. When they come into the promised land, when the Israelites come into the promised land, and now Joshua is the leader, as they stayed in, in touch with God, as they prayed, as they sought the face of the Lord, God would take them here, God would take them there. God would raise up the Israelites to judge the nations, uh, you know, the, the pagan nations that were, that were needing to be judged by God, or wanting, you know, the, the ones that God was going to judge anyway. And the Israelites would judge them, and the, and, and the, the people would come, and they would possess the land. And, and every time that they listen to the Lord, God blessed them. But one time, I have to say well, it was only one time, but one time in the Scriptures and in the book of Joshua, they look at this little, little town called Ai, and without praying and without seeking the face of God, Joshua said, well, we'll we just, you know, we'll, we'll take it because it's little. We've got so many more people. And uh, they're just a little, little town. This town is so, you know, so insignificant that they could only afford two letters in their name. Ai. That's it. And what happened? Well, that little town defeated the Israelites. Why? Because they didn't pray. They didn't seek the face of God. Is there any wonder that here in this particular situation that we don't see it mentioned? You know, there is no indication here that both Barnabas and, and Paul walked in the spirit on this issue. No indication. And yet we know that they're praying men. We know that they, they, they were men filled with the Holy Spirit. What happened? Is it like us sometimes? Oh, listen, there's days where we are just so in touch with God, so in tune with the Lord. Man, we are just having this wonderful... And then, you know, and then we go on and, and somehow we just kind of drift away from that. And, and then before you know it, we're making decisions thinking, well, you know... Uh, it shouldn't be. It shouldn't matter. And then we do something, and all of a sudden we fail, and we think, "Oh my God!" And, and, and we just decided to trust ourselves more than to trust in God. If Paul and Barnabas could do it, we, you know, it happens to us too. Great lessons will come from this honest conflict, especially the fact that a believer is to make every effort possible to avoid conflict. He is to do all that he can to live and to serve in peace with his Christian brothers and sisters. It was certainly the lesson that Paul would learn. He writes in Philippians chapter 1 verse 27, Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. In the next chapter, Philippians 2, he says in verse 1, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Did Paul learn the lesson? I think he did. This letter to the Philippians was one written later on. It was one of his last letters to the church. I think he learned that lesson. But there was a greater lesson that both Paul and Barnabas and all of us would, would ever learn. And that is that the good result of this honest conflict... The good result of this honest conflict is that God overrules. Now, we have oftentimes said that God rules in the affairs of men. God rules in the affairs of nations. God rules because God is sovereign. There are times when God overrules, you see, what we do. And this is an important thought. Think about it this, in this term. Let's go back to verses 39 through 41. Then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. So Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Now what do we know about Barnabas and Paul? We know one thing, they both loved God. No question. They both loved God and they were both called according to His purpose. Romans eight twenty eight. Paul writes, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. Was there any good that came out of it, of, of this conflict? Yes, a lot of good. Let's begin by saying that the good results are that a deserter was reclaimed and set aflame for God. Who was that? John Mark. A good result in all of this was that John Mark was reclaimed for God. Another good result is that a new disciple and minister was born in all of this, and that was Silas. Silas who would go with Paul now. Silas, whose Roman name was Silvanus. Someone who who understood the Greek or the Gentile mindset as, as well as the Hebrew mindset. And so he was a perfect match for Paul. But the good result, the net result of it all, is that two missionary teams were now sent forth. Barnabas had marked to Cyprus, the native country of Barnabas. And Paul and Silas went to Syria and Cilicia, Paul's native land. They were going home to preach the gospel. And something else happened that would eventually be a great thing too. And you see, this is where we see the work of God within all of this contention. Even within this strong, strong conflict between two men that didn't get bitter with each other. They just differed in their method. But the great thing that happened was that John Mark would later come to minister with Paul again. And Paul would greatly value Mark's contribution to the work of God. And let me add one more thing. That Mark became such a, such a powerful and valuable uh, a part of ministry in that time. That God would use him to record Peter's perspective in writing the gospel of Mark. What a blessing you see. You see God overrules and wins for us all but Paul would greatly value Mark's contribution to the work of God Colossians 4 10 says here Paul says Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner greets you with Mark the cousin of Barnabas by the way if you read the King James version it, it tells us that this was the sister son of Barnabas which would make him nephew we're not here to talk about you know what the connection is there but he says about whom you received instructions if he comes to you welcome him so, Paul is commending Mark to the church. In that single volume uh, letter to a man named Philemon, Paul writes to him and he says to him, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow labors. Paul, being in prison at this time, has Mark with him. Mark's with him. But even at the very end of Paul's life, in his last letter, as I've mentioned before, right before he goes to his death, Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.11, he says, Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. You know, it's a tremendous lesson we can learn from Paul. Paul may have been very strong in his conviction about taking mark in that second missionary journey but Paul, Paul's life teaches us that even Paul the apostle can change even Paul the apostle can be flexible with God That God can, can change hearts to see the value in everyone was Paul wrong before was Barnabas right Was Paul right? Was Barnabas wrong? Who are are we to say? What we do know is this. God changes His workmen, but His work goes right on. And we need to be able, you know, we, we need to stand strong in what is right. I'm not saying, you know, change your convictions. I'm saying, understand that when God is moving us in the issues of, of ministry, in the issues of method, that, that we can be flexible. What is that great proverb of Pastor Chuck Smith? Blessed are the flexible, for they're never broken. You see, God changed his workmen, but his work goes right on. Now there were two missionary teams instead of one. That's that's doubling, not only the work, it's also doubling the fruit. But it was done in the right way. It was done by God's hand. You know, there's a lot of church splits in in, in, the, in the body of Christ today, and, and and they split over sometimes peripheral things, and and when they go, they they go and 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 they start another ministry, but a lot of times those ministries may 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 oftentimes just wither away because of the very heart of the contentions here God knew these two men he knew their hearts for ministry and for the mission and, and they decided you know well what God did was double the missionary work here's another lesson you don't want to go home without today if God had to depend on perfect people to accomplish his work he would never ever get anything done wouldn't you agree if God had to depend on perfect people how many of us are perfect here today don't raise your hand The moment you raise your hand you, 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 you know you, if you thought you were perfect you'd be imperfect at that point because none of us are perfect and yet God says that he wants us to be complete and perfect lacking nothing but how is that that is because we trust in Jesus Christ who is perfect and He is our perfection and He is our righteousness and He is everything that we need for life and godliness. But our limitations and our deficiencies are good reasons for us to depend on the grace of God for our sufficiency is from Him alone. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 3 verses 4-6 through 6, and we have such trust through Christ God, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. One translation says our competency is from God. who also made us sufficient as ministers of the New covenant, not of the letter but of the spirit for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. The church was not split over this contention nothing was broken up the contention was an honest conflict dealing with method but not the mission their hearts were still to strengthen the churches and that's what we see there in verse 30, in 41 by the way in verses uh, 39 through 41 Something that we don't also want to miss here. It says, So Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. We have to understand that that the commendation given by the church was not just to Paul and, and, and Silas, but it was also to Barnabas and John Mark. The commendation was, Brothers, you're going in different directions, but you're going with the same purpose. And the same mission. And you're covering twice as much ground. And that is for the kingdom of God. It's not for your own kingdoms. You see, we don't do anything for ourselves. We're not trying to build a kingdom here. We're trying to bring people into the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So it's at this point that we no longer follow Barnabas' ministry. Though from time to time, again, we will see in Paul's writings the connection with Mark. The focal point from this point on becomes the further journeys of Paul. Paul will be the very central, key, and focal point of the rest of the book of Acts. So now we have to ask ourselves, are we willing to humble ourselves? When facing certain conflicts and contentions that we may have very strong opinions about will we be able to listen will we be able to humble ourselves will we be able to allow God to overrule us so that his will will still be done no matter how he is preparing us and sending us I think we have a lot to learn from this as we look at Paul and Barnabas. We have a lot to learn, I think, from the results of all of this later on. You know, especially with with Paul receiving Mark in the ministry. Because God used Barnabas to raise and mature Mark in ministry to the point where now Paul can say, he's a value not only to me, but to Christ. So let us not let various peripheral issues and conflicts, let us not let those things dampen our mission, which is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is to teach the word of God which is to stand upon the truth of the word of God but have the right attitude about that stand because remember we need to take a strong stand for the Lord and for his word but we also need to be compassionate for the lost you see there are some churches today that say listen we, we're, gonna let, we're just going to accept everybody whoever, whoever you are whatever you believe come and we'll have church No matter what the Bible says, you just come. Well, let me just say this. Our doors are open to everybody too. But when you come here, we're going to teach God's Word. And we're going to stand upon its truth. Because God has a standard. And we need to stay faithful to that standard. Because if we believe Him to be God, and believe Him to be true, and believe His Word to be true, then we need to do as He says. So that's why people go around looking for, you know, they have itching ears looking for people to say, come, you know, it doesn't matter what you believe, you don't have to change. But we say come because God wants to change us into the image of Christ. The doors are always open. What's the difference? The difference is we have to take that stand for the gospel. A lot of people aren't. We're going to take it. And at the same time, we have fellowship with those who believe in the word of God those who believe in the standards of, of God's word and and, and and what God's word says about our lives and how we live our lives because the true church is more than just one church it's every believer who believes in Jesus Christ that he came he died he, he shed his blood and he rose again from the dead and there's a certain way to live our lives to honor him for us to walk worthy of the gospel. So, let's pray.